Our reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 15, verses 19 to 21. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The word of God for the people of God. So uh, just recently I was reading about this weird old German tradition. In, in, in northern Germany, there's a city called Bremen, and apparently northern Germany is just about the most boring place that you could possibly imagine, especially in winter. In, in the city of Bremen, there's really not much to do during the winter months. There is a river. There is a river that runs through the city of Bremen, and so all winter long, people just sit around watching the river, waiting for the river to freeze over. And, and they've been doing this for hundreds of years, and at some point, a couple hundred years ago, as all of these bored German people were sitting around watching, watching the river freeze, somebody, somebody came up with a brilliant idea for, for spicing things up. One of those bored German people turned to the bored German person sitting next to him and said, hey, let's make this interesting. How about, how about you and I have a bet about when the river's going to freeze over? And the other bored German person said, you're on. And so they made a bet. And then other people said, that sounds like fun. I want in. And so all of these bored German people started making bets about when the river was going to, to freeze over. And this became, this became an annual tradition. Every winter, people would gather by the river and they would make bets about, about when the river was going to freeze over. And each year, it got bigger and bigger. It kept on growing until eventually it became a festival in, in, in Bremen, in northern Germany. There is a festival every year called the Eiswetter, which means, which means ice bet in German. And, and people, people gather from all around northern Germany. It has become the, the premier social event in all of northern Germany, at least in, in the winter months. Every year there's a huge black tie gala, and everybody who is anybody gets to be there. People come from, from all around, all of the cities around Bremen, the community leaders, the most prominent businessmen. People invite guests from overseas to come. And every year at this great big gala, this great big ice veta party, there is, there is one person who is especially honored. Every year the guest of honor is the mayor of the city of Bremen. Every year for the last 190 years, the mayor of Bremen has been the guest of honor at this great big ice veta party, except, except for this year. So this year, for the first time in 190 years, something happened that, that the party planners had never had to deal with before. Something happened that had never happened before. The mayor, the mayor of the city of Bremen, was unable to attend the gala. He had to be at a funeral. He couldn't get out of it, and so, so he couldn't attend. But the mayor of the city of Bremen said, that's okay. You can, you can invite my junior co-mayor to take my place. My junior co-mayor would be happy to, to attend to represent the mayor's office, and you would have a, a co-mayor at the party. 
party and everything could proceed like usual. That's what, what the mayor of Bremen suggested. Invite my junior co-mayor. Well, this suggestion threw the Eisvetter Party Planning Committee into a tizzy. Why? Because the junior co-mayor of the city of Bremen is a woman named Caroline Linnert. The, the pertinent fact in what I just shared with you is that the junior co-mayor of the city of Bremen is a woman. And for the last 190 years, this gala, this party, has been a men-only event. That's not quite true. Women are allowed as long as they're waitresses. Women are allowed into the room as long as they're putting food on the tables. Well, well, this, this problem of, of having a junior co-mayor who was a woman, it, it threw the planning party committee in, into chaos. They called an emergency meeting. They, they got together in what I assume was a smoke-filled back room, and they, they debated until late into the night, what are we going to do? No matter what decision they made, it looked like one of their cherished 190-year-old traditions was going to come to an end. Either we have to let a woman in or we're not going to have a mayor at the party. What are we going to do? They went back and forth and back and forth all night long, late into the night. And, and I'm imagining I'm imagining that there must have been a billiard table in the room and there was probably a painting of dogs playing poker hanging on the wall as they were, <laughs> were debating all of these things late into the night. And then finally at some point in the, in the wee hours of the morning, Somebody came up with a brilliant idea. Somebody suggested an idea that was so obviously brilliant that it was unanimously and immediately approved by the entirety of the committee, and then everybody smoked another cigar to congratulate themselves. At least that's what I imagine happened that night. And then the next morning, the Ice Veta Party Planning Committee made, made an announcement. They said, they said to everybody who had been waiting to hear what they were going to decide, they said, we've, we've made a decision. We're going to invite the mayor, just not the mayor of Bremen. We're going to invite the mayor of Bremerhaven, the next city over, who just happens to be a man and so is perfectly qualified to come to the party and do all the things that we need We need the mayor to do. Why do I tell that story today? The point is not, not hard to understand. The point of the story is very simply this. Still today, in the year of our Lord, 2019, there are rooms in which women are not allowed unless they're putting food on somebody's table. Still today, in the year of our Lord, 2019, there are spaces where the presence of women, the voice of women are not welcome, where women have to struggle to knock down the doors, where women have to struggle in order to be heard. Still to this day, there are boys clubs in the world that women women have not managed to break into. And as we begin the season of Lent, as we begin the season of, of confession and truth-telling, one of the things that we as the church are going to confess, one of the things we're going to tell the truth about today is the fact that the Bible sort of feels like one of those boys clubs. Right? The Bible was inspired by God, but it was mostly written by men, and it was mostly written by men who were interested in telling the stories of other men. And so, so there are not a lot of women who show up in the stories of the Bible. There are 1,369 people who are named in the pages of the Bible. Of those 1,369 people, only 188 are women. Only 188 women are named in the Bible. What that means, what that means is if you are reading the Bible and you come across the name of a woman, you need to sit up and pay attention because if she was important enough that even these men who wanted to tell the stories of other men had to write down her name and tell us what she did, she must have done something truly important and very significant indeed. And this, this morning, we're going to tell a little bit of the story of one of those women, one of those most important, most significant women whose names actually got written down in the Bible. Today, we're going to tell a little bit of the story of, of the prophet. Miriam. 
Of all of the women in the Bible whose stories don't get told because they're the sister of somebody or because they're the wife of somebody or the daughter of somebody who who the men writing the stories down thought was more important than she was, of all of the women who are overshadowed by other characters in the story of the Bible, Miriam is one of the most overshadowed. Miriam has the bad luck of being the sister of two of the biggest celebrities in all of the Bible. Miriam is the sister of Moses and Aaron. And if you ever spent any time in Sunday school, then you know the story of Moses and Aaron, right? You remember how the story goes. God's, God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in the land of Egypt. For hundreds of years, they suffered in the land of Egypt under, under the heel of Pharaoh. And finally, the people cried out. They said, God, save us. God, help us. And God heard them crying out. God heard the voice of the suffering people. And God said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. And so God, God spoke to Moses. Now Moses was unlike all of the other Israelites who were living in Egypt at that time. Moses, Moses unlike the other Israelites, had never lived in slavery. You know, as a baby, he had been adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. So Moses was raised. He grew up in the royal palace. He grew up eating, eating from Pharaoh's table. Moses had an access to Pharaoh that none of the other Israelites had. And so God said, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh, and I need you to give him this message. Let my people go. And because Moses wasn't very much of a, of a speaker, he, he didn't like talking to people in public, God said, you can bring your brother Aaron with you. He can be your spokesperson. And so Moses and Aaron, they they went to Pharaoh and they said, God says, let my people go. And then God sent plague after plague after plague until finally Pharaoh decided to let the people go. And so the Israelites grabbed what they could on their way out the door and they started running for the wilderness. They headed for the border on their way out of Egypt. But as they were leaving, Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh sent his army with all of his chariots and horsemen and, and riders after the people, and the people ran faster. They headed towards the wilderness with everything they had, but Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them. And then just when it looked like they weren't going to escape, they came against an obstacle. In front of them, there was this, this uncrossable sea, this vast expanse of water. They cried out to the Lord again, and God said, Moses, raise your staff. And Moses raised his staff, and the waters parted to either side, and God's people ran through the waters on dry land. Pharaoh's army chased them into the waters. But the minute the last Israelite was safe on the other side, that water came crashing back in. Pharaoh's army, his horses and riders were all swept away. And in that moment, just when the people were on the other side of the water, for the first moment in 400 years, as they got their very first taste of freedom, when they were out of the land of Egypt, Moses, Moses grabbed the microphone and started singing a song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. And as Moses started singing, the men, the, all the men among the Israelites, they started singing with him, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And then they kept on singing. Moses kept on adding verse after verse after verse. He made up new verses until, until they were all exhausted and tired and couldn't sing anymore. And all the men finally collapsed into the sand. They were, they were so tired from all of their singing. And in that moment when the men finally shut up, in that moment when the men are finally done singing, this is what we read. And then Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron, took out her tambourine and she began to lead the women in song. And all of the women took out their tambourines and they began to sing and they began to dance. And they they danced and sang a song of freedom there on the other side of the sea. This is the first time in all the Bible that Miriam's name is mentioned. That's the Bible's way of letting us know that this is a big moment. This is an important moment. Something significant is happening here that we're 
we're supposed to pay attention to. What, what is that important thing? What is the significant thing? The rabbis tell us there are three, three clues to what's really happening in this story. The rabbis say there are three mysteries in this story. And if we can unravel those three mysteries, we'll understand what is truly happening in this moment. The first mystery, the rabbis say, the first mystery is this. Where did all of those tambourines come from? The people run out of, out of Egypt. They, they don't have time to pack their bags. Pharaoh's army is, is bearing down behind them. And yet somehow all of the women think to grab their tambourines on the way out the door. This is what they want to bring with them into the wilderness. Why do all of these women have tambourines? That's the first mystery, according to the rabbis. The second mystery is the mystery of why, why Miriam is introduced the way that she is. Why the Bible says, why does the Bible tell us that Miriam is the sister of Aaron, but doesn't mention Moses? Why not the sister of Aaron? Aaron and Moses. That's the second mystery. And the third mystery, the third mystery according to the rabbis is this. Why, when Moses starts the song, why, when all the men are singing, why don't the women join in? Why do the women wait until Miriam starts banging on her tambourine before they start to join in the song? If we, can, if we can come up to, with answers to those three questions, the rabbis said, we will understand what's happening in this story. And so here's how the rabbis answer those questions. They say the thing with the tambourines is really easy to explain. They said the women brought the tambourines with them because they knew there was going to come a moment for dancing. The women believed that God was going to save them. They believed that God was going to rescue them. And they went, when that moment came, when that moment happened, they wanted to be ready to have a party. And so they grabbed their tambourines on the way out the door. In fact, the rabbis say, the question we should be asking is not why did all the women bring their instruments. The question we should be asking is why did the men not bring theirs? They say this, this reveals to us that the women of that generation were more faithful and more righteous than the men were. The second, the second question the rabbis say is also so easy enough to explain. Why, why is Miriam called the, the sister of Aaron, but not the sister of Aaron and Moses? The rabbis say the answer to that question is simple. The Israelites didn't know Moses. Moses never lived among them. Moses grew up in the palace. Moses always lived apart somewhere through all of those years of suffering and slavery. Moses, Moses lived a very different life. And through all of those years of suffering, through all of those decades of bondage, who was with the people? Who led the people? Who held the people together? Who spoke God's word to the people so that they wouldn't give up? It was Miriam, the prophet. She was the leader of the people during all of those decades of enslavement and how did the people know her? What did they call her? They called her Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron, not the sister of Moses. Why? Because they hardly knew who Moses was. And that leads us, that leads us to the answer to the third question. You know, imagine from the women's perspective this moment that happens when they get through the waters and the, 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 the horses and riders are swept away. What, imagine what that moment was like from the women's perspective when Moses stands up and starts singing that song. This, this man who never suffered with them, this man who didn't experience bondage and slavery with them, this woman, Miriam, held them together for 80 years, eight decades of slavery in the land of Egypt. She suffered with them. She struggled with them. But the minute they got a taste of freedom, as soon as they were on the other side of the sea, what happens? Some guy with a beard grabs the microphone and starts taking all the credit and acting like somebody has appointed him to be the leader of this moment. The women, the women couldn't believe it. And so what do they do? You can imagine them rolling their eyeballs and waiting 
waiting for Moses to finally stop singing this song that nobody asked him to lead. And it just went on and on and on and on. And finally, when Moses and the men were finished singing, finally, when Moses was done and out of breath, all of the women turned turn to Miriam. And Miriam takes out her tambourine. And she begins to play. And then all of the women take out their tambourines and they begin to play. And then they sing and they dance. And their song is more joyous and more boisterous than anything the men were able to manage. Why do the women not sing when Moses is leading the song? Because they know that this song, this song of freedom and liberation, needs to be led by someone who experienced the oppression of enslavement. This song needs to be led by Miriam, not by Moses. In this moment, Miriam is sending a powerful message. She's sending a message to Moses. She's sending a message to all of God's people. She's sending a message to us here today. In that moment when Miriam grabbed the microphone and started banging on her tambourine, this is the message that she was sending. She said, for 400 years, we lived in the land of Egypt, and a guy with a beard told us everything to think and what we were going to do. And she said, we are not going to live like that anymore. We are not going to be a people who only let one person talk. She said, we believe in a God who hears everyone's voice, and so we're going to build the kind of community where everybody's voice is heard. She said, we believe in a God who especially listens to the voice of people who are suffering and oppressed, and so we are going to build the kind of community where the voices of people who are suffering and living in oppression are lifted up. We are going to build the kind of community where women's voices are heard. We are going to build the kind of community where the voices of people of color are heard. We are going to build the kind of community where the voices of our LGBTQ siblings are heard. We are going to build the kind of community where the microphone gets passed around and it's not just always one white guy with a beard doing all the talking. And let me tell you, that was my own personal moment of confession this morning. I struggle with this. This is so hard for me. This is, this is one of the things that I, I have a hard time dealing with. Uh, being perfectly honest now, because we're in this season of Lent, I like the sound of my own voice just as much as the next preacher. I do an awful lot of talking, and I don't do nearly, nearly enough listening. But I'm working on that. Jesus and I, we're working on that together. In fact, this is the thing I've chosen to work on in the season of Lent. All the season of Lent, I'm making an effort to hear the voices of people whose voices don't get heard. I'm making an effort to hear the voices of people who disagree with me, the voices of people who live at the margins and never get handed the microphone. I'm making an effort to do that during the season of Lent. And as part of that effort, this morning, I'm going to do something that that I hardly ever do. I need to do more. I'm going to pass off the microphone to somebody. I'm going to hand off the microphone to, to somebody who I believe we as a church, we need to hear. This morning, I'm going to hand off the microphone to one of the young people of our church, to one of the female people of our church, to one of the LGBTQ members of our church. This morning, I'm going to hand the microphone over to my daughter, Celia. Now, now, about a week ago, Celia wrote a poem. Come on up, come on up, get yourself set, come on up. Celia wrote a poem in response to, to the recent developments in the life of the United Methodist Church, recent decisions to, to, to make the United Methodist Church a place that was not entirely comfortable for LGBTQ people. She, she wrote this, this poem as a letter to the 438 people who made that vote, who, who made that decision. And, and I will tell you, when, when I read what she had written, when I heard what she wanted to say, it was something I needed to hear. These were words that I needed to hear, a voice I needed to hear. I believe the whole church could, could benefit from hearing this voice this morning too. So, so I'm actually just going to close my mouth and get out of the way and, and we're going we're gonna to hear what Celia has to say this morning. Now, this is, this is kind of, you know, this is a, a different moment for Celia as well. Would you please help her out this morning by clapping her up here? Would you please, would you please give her this? Let her know that you're ready to hear her. You ready? 
All right, go ahead, go ahead. Dear church, dear 438, dear leaders of my church who pushed a button to vote yes when what you wanted to say was no, I want you to know I am not angry. I forgive. I forgive one time, I forgive three times, I forgive 70 times, seven times, I forgive 438 times, I forgive, like you say you do. I am not angry. I choose the way of Jesus, I choose the way of turn the other cheek, I choose the way of love your enemy, for in doing so you heap burning coals upon his head, I choose the way of shake the dust off of your sandals and keep walking when they will not receive you, because if they do not receive you, then they do not receive me, I choose the way of Jesus, like you say you do, I am not angry, I have no time for angry. I will not let angry take even a single minute away from painting rainbows on my fingernails. I will not let angry take even a single minute away from trying to make my girlfriend giggle. I will not let angry take even one single minute away from eating coconut cupcakes, from helping Mackenzie and Alyssa with their algebra, from sewing costumes for the middle school play, and finding 438 ways to paint my rainbows all over the place. I am not angry. What I am is L. What I am is G, what I am is B, T, Q, I, A. I am plus, I am so very plus. I am so much more plus than you will ever know. I am not angry. And maybe one day, by the grace of God, you won't be angry too. what happens when we pass the microphone. Let's keep being a church that does it. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would help us to hear like you hear. God, help us to hear the voices that don't always get to to be heard. God, help us to hear the people who live at the margins. God, help us to put those people, not just in the pews, but front and center in this community that we're building with you together. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Amen.